once again to the Global Gale podcast, a podcast for and about the 70 odd million Irish around the world because there's no such thing as an ordinary Irish person abroad. My name is Philip O'Connor from Dublin. I've been in Sweden, Stockholm for the last 23 years and that's where I am at the moment in my little studio in the Swedish capital talking to you from there. A little bit of housekeeping to begin with, right? It's getting to the time of the year now when Christmas is coming, right? Now, I'm well aware of the fact that it's winter only in the northern hemisphere of the world. That you lads down below in Canberra and in Auckland and in Melbourne and in Wellington and in Invercargill, you are coming into the summer. So I'm not going to be talking about snow or anything else like that. But one thing that's coming, no matter whether it's winter or summer where you are, is Christmas. And it's only around the corner now. So if you have any sort of a business that's providing Irish goods or that you'd like a shout out, that you think the Irish community around the world might be interested uh, in coming up to Christmas, do let me know. I'd be more than happy to feature them on here. I've seen things like the paddy boxes and there's all sorts of stuff there. I think it was a, a tinsmith who's a traveller who does stuff that's that's available online, that kind of thing. Now, I don't have the details to hand at the moment. Anything like that at all that you think might be of interest to people. If you happen to know somewhere in Sydney that sells Tato, if you happen to know somewhere in San Francisco that you can get a Cadbury selection box, right? Let me know and I'll do my best to bring all those things to the Irish people around the world. And if you have any suggestions for gifts or if you just want to give a shout out to somebody that you know is abroad, get in touch. You can get in touch with me, Philip at iblana.se is my mail address and of course the Global Gale has, podcast has its own Instagram page its own Facebook page so whatever way you feel like interacting uh, just go ahead and do it and sure if all else fails just Google Philip O'Connor Twitter or Philip O'Connor Journalist and sure everything about me will crop up even the bad stuff has to be said but you'll be able to get in touch with me anyway I hope you're well wherever you are in the world we're getting a great response to the podcast one of the things I would like to say though and this is specifically to female listeners and prospective female guests, right? We need more of you girls, right? I find that when I contact male guests or that men in general tend to get in touch and they go, yeah, no, I have this story or I know this fella or, you know, there's a bloke I used to work with, right? And women tend to be very much more sort of, you know, uh, hiding their talent under a bushel is how I believe it was described in the Bible, right? So they think, ah, no, no, I couldn't possibly do that. No, Jesus, who am I to be talking on some fella's podcast in the Irish around the world? Yeah, no, do it, okay? Because when I've approached uh, women for to go on the podcast, because I'd love to have 50-50 women and men, but now this is the second or third week in a row where we've had some lad talking on. So we're going to have to write that, but I can't do it myself, right? So we're going to have to have more suggestions from listeners about women that we could have on the podcast. And we're going to have to have more women who are prepared to come on the podcast. What I can tell you ladies is that the listeners to the Global Gale podcast are wonderful people, right? They don't tend to be the kind of people who go, oh, you said this, or they go nuts in the Facebook comments or anything else like that. Wonderful, genuine, warm people who love to listen to this podcast in their car on the way to work or on the Tokyo subway or out walking the dog in Nairobi and Kenya. It's, that's the kind of person you're dealing with. So have no fear. Come on, tell your story. Nobody's going to go nuts. Well, I really hope that nobody's going to go once you can never say never so come on the podcast anyway tell your stories because we'd be more than uh, d- delighted to hear from you because look at if we say the 70 million Irish around the world probably half of them are women and we want those stories told as well uh, this week we are heading back down under to New Zealand another fantastic suggestion by my good friend Colin McGrath down under uh, in New Zealand and he suggested uh, our guest for this week right and 
it's like peeling an onion, lads. Sometimes somebody will suggest a guest, and you go, yeah, I must look them up. And you look at their LinkedIn, you look at their Facebook, and you Google their name, and you find out, and Colin gave me some details about it. And the more I found out about this man's story, the wilder it got. So I just had to have him on. So I sent an email to Rodney Walsh. Rodney has been down in New Zealand for longer than most of us listening to this have been alive, and then some. And he went down to New Zealand in a completely different time and a completely different era. And he went from being a fella who stepped off the boat after a month to become building a huge travel business that's active all over the world and he's essentially sold in Ireland as a tourist destination for much of his working life. Aside from that uh, he built up an Irish community there and structures for the Irish community in New Zealand. He became the honorary consul there so you know Ireland's essentially Ireland's first citizen Ireland's representative in New Zealand and the story is a fascinating and amazing one I'm delighted to be able to bring it to you this week on the Global Gale podcast. So here he is, all the way from Auckland in New Zealand, Rodney Walsh on the Global Gale. Rodney Walsh, I suppose the obvious place to start is how a man like yourself wound up on the other side of the world all those years ago. What was your reason for going to New Zealand in the first place, Rodney? Well, it's, it's, it's not a single sentence. Oh, <laughs> we have all the time in the world here, my friend. <laughs> okay. Well, I was, well, I was the youngest son of a family, two daughters and my mother. My father died when I was only three. Uh, but we all lived in, in Gaba Road, Ratgar, Dublin. Mm-hmm. And my eldest sister ultimately married a student doctor from Trinity and he qualified. And in those days, being a qualified doctor, unless you went into a hospital, you, you couldn't afford to buy a practice or whatever. And he he decided he'd, he'd go into the services, and he he, end, he ended up the in the air uh, the air no, not the air the New Zealand Air Force, mm. and, and found that they were on the honeymoon was on a ship going out to. New Zealand. I mean, we all laughed at him when they thought about joining the, the New Zealand Air Force. He, he probably thought he was joining the RAF and he didn't know what that said meant. But anyway, <laughs> so they spent their honeymoon on the ship, the Rangitoto. It would take about a month to get out. And then after a couple of years, my eldest sister had a couple of grands, her children, and brought them back to see the family. And my second sister decided, well, she goes, she was single and she wasn't engaged and she wasn't engaged. So she said, I'll go back with my sister. So they came back then. So that gave us two sisters out in New Zealand and one of them had the two kids. And then the eldest, Yvonne, was the leader since my father was dead. But she persuaded mother, why don't you come to New Zealand? Rodney would do very well here and everything else. And so that was the temptation. And I've been mad on rugby, very keen on rugby, and fancied myself. But I got injured. I tore a cartilage, and my rugby, my, not I could play rugby, but I couldn't get much higher. So I said, "Why not?" So she and I, me, well, I sold up everything, house the, the lot. I had, I had a, a carrier, a suit carrier, were all my possessions, and the suit carrier was given to me as a present for my leaving. And my mother had a little, there's like a cabin trunk we had, and that was, they were our possessions. So off we came, all the way to New Zealand. And my sister, who was, and the doctor with his own practice, we joined them. 
And from there, it was my base to get a job and so on. But that's what got us to New Zealand. Was it difficult for you to leave, Rodney? Because I suppose with, with your sisters already there sort of as anchors, you had something to move to. You weren't just sort of jumping into the unknown. But presumably, you know, your mother had friends, you had friends, you had a life in Ireland before you moved to Z- in New Zealand. Was it hard to leave that behind? Well, a, a, a yes and a no. I mean, certainly for my mother, I don't know how she did it. I mean, she was 65. Since she was giving everything up, her house, her home, I remember some of the furniture we, we were selling. And she said, oh, that, that was a wedding present. Uh, it really so significant for her. For me, I was single. Uh, as I said, I'd given up my rugby ambitions. I finished, I did an extramural BCom DPM Trinity. So I had qualifications. And I was just at that stage, you know, I thought, well, how old was I? I was about 26. I said, well, why not? I mean, why not? But I, keeping my mother in a house in Garva Road, and I, I, I had a good job, but not a really good job, but a good potential. So we said, okay, we'll go. And we sold everything up, got onto the ship, the Rangatola. It took us a month. We had New Year and Christmas on the ship, and my mother and I, and then we settled with, with Eve on the eldest sister, until I got a job when we got out here. She lived in near Rotorua. I got the, the jobs were about five pages in the in that in that New Zealand Herald offering positions. So there's jobs all over the place. So I got a job, a tinny job for General Motors Acceptance Corporation, the finance one. And my role was to cover all the 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 General Motors agents in the North Island. Mm. And <laughs> just to see that the, they were using the finance and what have you. And I, I was doing a thousand miles a week driving. So, but, but I'd seen in in twelve months, I'd seen more of New Zealand than I had of my lifetime in Ireland. It's amazing so that, how that works out. Yeah, well, that, so that was it. So I mean, that was lucky. And then I joined. I, I realised going around and round, I was living in the car. I could, I had to give my rugby up because they you had to train and be there Saturday, and I could be somewhere else. Hmm. And um, so I got a job with the big Fletcher timber company, a massive job. And uh, I was over-promoting and I was a managing director at 29. <laughs> I'd, only been, I'd only been in New Zealand for about two haircuts. Only there in a wet week and he's running the show. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I realised then it was too big, I should something. So I decided if I had my own business, what would I do? Mm-hmm. And I thought tourism travel would be the one. And an opportunity came to join a travel company and uh, with a promise that, well, with a a target, if I wished, that I could become a shareholder. So I switched into travel and that was it. My connection with Ireland, the reconnection began. And I set up a little representation thing. I went to Ireland on some some agents, educational. And I realized there was no one promoting Ireland in New Zealand. Mm. So I said, why don't I do it? Oh, well, you know, we don't, we do that through our own offices. But no, you don't, you don't have an office. So they gave me, and the first uh, no, uh, private, if you like, non government representative of Board Falsha, as it was then in New Zealand. And that was it. From there, we spread into airlines and goodness knows what. And ultimately, we end up the, the largest principal representative in tourism in Australia and New Zealand, privately owned, mm-hmm. which it still is. It's an amazing so story. Enough, yeah. mm-hmm. Was that like pushing in an open door? Because if we go back to that time, you know, in the 70s and the 80s in Ireland, 
it was a country that was waking up. It was realizing that, okay, there's life beyond our borders here. We have to attract investment. We have to attract jobs because otherwise the likes of Rodney Walsh are going to get in a, a boat for a month and go down to New Zealand. Yeah. So did you find a very receptive, after that initial thing of, no, no, we do that ourselves. Did you find a very receptive to you and to your ideas and to your experiences that you had, your knowledge from New Zealand? Uh, I, 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 I'm trying to... I'm trying to find the words for it. When I left, I mean, there was massive unemployment. Mm. And I mean, it was late, late 59, right, 57, 58. Was, and it was really around, or if, if I didn't get a job, and I, I was lucky to get a job with with players, mm. uh, good job. But it was, it was like, I was just, where, where the hell am I going to earn enough money? And I could see in the house with ultimately my mother on her own had a house. How the hell she managed on a widow's pension to, to to own her little house and keep it all. Never, we were never we might we were never we, we perhaps we we didn't always get what we wanted, but we got what we needed, and yeah. it was a philosophy that worked really well. So I was quite an adventure then. I, I was injured with my rugby and gave it up. So I'm heading off. And all my mates got around with a, a, a little bit of envy about heading off into this country way, way down. Yeah. And uh, they came to see me off the, on the boat to cross the, the channel. Yeah. And, and it wasn't unexpected. People were emigrating by massive numbers at yeah. the end of the would, would many of your friends have emigrated to, to London or to America or to Manchester or that kind of thing? Uh, well, well, if they were they, just not since. I mean, well, what a couple. When I came to New Zealand, there were two that I, I had known in Ireland and they were here. And, but, and occasionally, I, no, there were a lot of, there was a good Irish percentage of, of spreading around but they were essentially the older generation who had been forced to leave because right. they hadn't got a job and came and and they became the backbone of the irish societies right. and i remember when i come with this young guy and full of adventure they said oh you must join the irish society and and i said well really great respects they're all old but to uh, i'm all the way to new zealand why would they join the irish society i want to learn about new zealand yeah. So I, I didn't become involved in the society side of things, but certainly in the promotional and tourism side, I was definitely up to my years in it. You raise an interesting point there because I remember the same thing happening to me when I moved to Stockholm in Sweden where I live. And there is this thing of, you know, there's a progression for us as immigrants in different countries. And it often is the older generations who run things like the Irish societies in various different yeah. countries. And they're always looking to get young fellas such as we were back in the day with vim and vigor and new ideas. But we're not always in a hurry to get involved at a younger age. Is there anything they can do? Because I know you went from being somebody who was reluctant to join to being an absolutely, I mean, you're called uh, Ireland's foremost citizen in New Zealand in some of the things I've seen for the Department of Foreign Affairs. Is there anything we can do better to involve young people when they arrive in places like Sweden, New Zealand, San Francisco? I think it's happening now um, because the younger people could get a job. In, I'm talking about in the 60s now. Yeah. I mean, all my friends had jobs. They mainly the job they worked for insurance companies and so on and they were happy with that mm. uh, but now it's it's totally different that the, 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 the young people coming out here they they're inspecting it and if they like it they'll stay if they don't they'll go away and mm. they're 
Well, I, I summed this up that there's the, the, the there's two. There's the those Irish who are born in Ireland, and there are those Irish who were born in New Zealand. And we have to be careful about that. I know very keen. Oh, the Irish have come out and they set up the the, the Mamma Mia's or whatever they are. But that they're isolating themselves because all right, I'm Irish. I was born in Ireland. My wife was not born in Ireland. She was born in New Zealand. But because she's married to me, she's she can be Irish and can can have an Irish passport. But my kids are are a mixture too. So you're getting you're spreading it out, and I, I find. It, 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 certainly in some of the areas of, as when I was the only constable a while I had I certainly supported the elderly the older people in the societies but I had to be careful about being too Irish and that the wife of the guys she lose, lost interest mm. she said no no that's too Irish for me. I mean I'm, I'm being very blunt in this because but it was only just something you go oh, we're going to have a Katie we're going to have this and the per- partner who was Irish by a passport, but not by birth. Students said, well, gee, why why can't we go to a to a New Zealand thing? Or why can't we go mm-hmm. to something? And that's something we have to watch now mm-hmm. as, as, with the interest expanding, that we cater for the two Irish, mm-hmm. the ones who were born here and the ones who became here. Does that make one, sense to you? It's it certainly does, sir, because it's one of those things that my daughter and her friends, uh, many of them here in Stockholm, they would have like you know one Swedish parent, or they might have parents from Turkey or from Kurdistan, and they often say, "Oh, I'm half this and I'm half that." And for years, I said to them, "You're not half anything. You're both Swedish and Irish. Yeah. You're both yeah. Swedish and Turkish or Irish. You know, like that. That's what it is. But there is also that thing of." we need to respect exactly as you were saying there, the different experiences of Irishness. Those of us who are born in Dublin have a different experience from, you know, the second or third or fourth generation Irish people uh, in America. And obviously you and me are going to come at it from a certain perspective, but that's not yeah. to say that the other perspective isn't welcome. And one of the first guests on this podcast was uh, a sports uh, columnist in Boston who didn't even realize his Irish heritage meant so much to him until he was 19 uh, and <laughs> in a Catholic college there, you know, uh, yeah, you mentioned yeah. your role there as the honorary consul in New Zealand, right? Uh, this is yeah. a fascinating thing because you're not exactly the ambassador, but you may as well be, is how I understood it. How did you get that role? <laughs> well, I, 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 at, at that stage, I, I, I got my job. I was looking after tourism. Mm. And also I picked up the roles of Tralee because a, a, a guy that was running it, he was doing it for the money, he ran out of money, left and stranded. I said, I'll, I'll take it over and, and and connect with the Irish society and help them. You run it. But uh, I was, now I've lost my train of thought, sorry. What was the... T- what, I was what, just what, saying what about how you became to be the honorary consul. It sounds oh, like you've almost yes, made yes, the yes, job for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, there wasn't one here. And and the, the ambassador was was Canberra. And the, the ambassador is Florence O'Riordan was his name, based in Canberra, a terrific character. And the trade commissioner in Sydney, Paul Sheridan, was ex the, the department in, in Dublin and living in, in Australia. They came over to do some promoting of the Irish trade. And uh, it just unbeknownst to me or anything, until I got a phone call of this Paul Sheridan. They were in Wellington. There was an honorary consul there. And, and that was supposed to be for the whole of the country. But basically, all he was was supposedly a, a political contact but when the ambassador and the trade commissioner had arrived he'd done nothing 
So they rang Dublin in desperation and said, is there someone in the, you know, we, we're going up to Auckland through the big city that we can connect. And they said, oh, yeah, we have this young fella who's looking after the board, Falsha. So they, they, he, the ambassador went home in, in a hop because the meetings weren't set up. And then Paul came up to Dublin, out uh, to Auckland, got hold of me. And actually, Saturday afternoon, he turned out to be a rugby guy. And we went to see an old black trial on, at Eden Park that Saturday afternoon. But from that, he, he went back to report and said, that, look, get appoint someone like this. He's looking after tourism Ireland. Why don't you make him an honorary consul? And and we and he knows the trade. I, I knew the business with my General Motors, and I said happy to do all that. And that was it. And ultimately, the the honorary consul in in Wellington was faded away. He wasn't wanted. Well, when when down, in fact, it was when Mountbatten was was killed. Mm -hmm. uh, he 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 resigned in deep dudgeon. You know, the very time he wanted us to hang the whole together, he marched out and said, I've not nothing to do with the Irish. So I became only Consul General for the whole of, of New Zealand, the first one ever. And I went up to him, continued in that role. With, um, I retired about, in, about five years ago now. But, but then you, we, you held that role for over 40 years, if I remember rightly. That's correct. That's correct. Paul, what, are the, what are the expectations on you then, Rodney? Is it one of those positions where you get a few bob and they go, okay, if we need somebody to set up meetings or to do some networking or whatever, is it, you know, does it take up a lot of your time when you have a role like that on behalf of the state? Well, it became a, a pseudo embassy. We, we were at one stage, we, I started off, all I was doing was be, being an Irish person in Auckland and a kind of grand where I had tourism, then suddenly the Rosa Tralee. And then I could see myself that we can do more. And we, I set up a, a, an essay competition in the secondary schools mm. in the sixth form that they, they could write an article relating to Ireland, whatever, something as long as it relates to Ireland. And they and it doesn't matter if they were Irish. And they, this competition took off. And the winner got a free trip to Ireland for a month's holiday there, met the president of Ireland, came back. And they were really terrific. We kept it. And I was personally financing all this because there was no way I'd get that. And it continued after it was old Google that that um, wrecked it because instead of writing the essays, they go in and get into it. You didn't know what sort of an essay they were writing. Whether the last one we gave up was found out that the mother had written it. But that, that's <laughs> but for ten years we had this, and we, the Department of Education every year would give me access to the school teachers in the fifth and sixth form mm -hmm. that I could write to them directly mm. about and became something. They got a little Waterford crystal clock for the top three and the winner went to Ireland. So that began and at more and more I then started connecting with the Irish Society because a young, slightly younger generation was coming in. Mm. And then the rugby, Ireland rugby in 1976, the first tour of, of New Zealand by an Irish rugby team. Uh, the coach was actually Roly Meats. I don't know if you know him. I went to school with him. Mm. The, the Irish were coming out. And and so it began to get more and more. And it wasn't the stage Irish. This was the one with the plastic paddies. Mm. Uh, I, I remember when I was with with, with the Fletchers, I was at an Irish. We'd gone and done something. And a big construction company. And anyway, we came back and I'd done a deal with, with a bit of, marketing supplies to a, a builder 
And one of the guys in 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 Fletcher's, he said, "You know, Rodney, you're the first Irish person I've met who's educated." And I said, "What well, do you mean educated? Yeah, educated." The others, of course, he was looking at the carpenters and plumbers and diggers, and and then I I I was a university guy or whatever. Mm. And the doctors that came out as Irish tended to disappear. You never. You'd have to find out he was an Irish doctor, but they never got together saying, I'm Irish. Yeah. And um, and so I realised then that this this growth, this was spreading, you know, and, and that the school thing made a big difference. Mm. And and uh, again, I've lost my train of water where I was getting getting to up. But as I, I said, look, I picked a phrase and got it. Um, a lack of education yeah. does not mean a lack of intelligence. And that's the subtlety. A lot of the Irish that left Ireland were forced to. They were unemployed at the time. They, some of them weren't fully educated. And they mm. came out with a tendency that they just didn't have a, 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 an academic knowledge of sort. Mm. And then they'd be told they could use their hands and so on. And mm. in fact, one of the successful builders, Huey Green, um, he 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 didn't he didn't go to school, but by God, he became a multimillionaire and yeah. a very charitable one too. Well, that's so, the thing. I mean, it, it's amazing what what passes for it. Like the, as you say, knowledge is not necessarily intelligence. You know, just because a fella has spent yeah. four years at Trinity or UCD, it doesn't mean they actually know anything about the real world either. As I'm sure you've discovered yeah, exactly. on your travels. Works both ways. Exactly. Um, did you find it like I mean, as an honorary consul now, you wouldn't exactly be going around handing out passports or, or dealing with that kind of thing. Did you have to deal with any consular issues on behalf of the government, or was that something that was done from Canberra? Well, initially it was supposed to be done from Canberra, but but they were struggling for some reason. I said, "Oh, like I could do that, uh, and we can issue some some passports." And then, of course, the foreign birth registration came in. You know, if you you if you um if you go, you could trace your ancestry back to grandmothers, mm. you know, and if you could get the birth route for that, you could then register as an Irish citizen and get a foreign birth certificate. Mm. I had this massive big book, all handwritten. We did this for many years. People applying, and then they were they were suspended for a while for about three or four years. Then they opened it, whatever the. the the problem was, and it, it flowed again. But by then, some of the people who'd applied five years ago were dead. So we so we'd get all their birth certificates. Back. But that foreign birth thing, really, I think, was before the passports were so required, that foreign birth brought in a heck of a lot of people of Irish descent and people whose great her, her grandmother had come from Ireland and thought, well, why can't I, I, get, I get an Irish passport? They don't lose a New Zealand passport. And, if, and with the European Union, if with an Irish passport and a New Zealand passport, you, you were doing very well. It got you into Britain, you get into Ireland. And it was a, 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 almost a five, we could, a, a thousand or so a year we'd be issued. Well, and was was that why they wanted it because of the freedom of movement, or was there a sense of Irishness, a sense of national pride there as well, or you know what was the primary reason behind getting the Irish passport? Well, the Irish passport gave them access to the to the European Union, to Europe, yeah. and they didn't have to get a visa and get to Britain, and they could go and work with them. Whereas the New Zealand passport would get them not into every country, but they would get them into the United Kingdom. 
Yeah. Uh, but it just had that extra way that could go with the Irish one. And you could have both. The thing to remember was if you left the country in the with your Irish passport, when you were coming back in, you must come back in with your Irish passport. Otherwise, okay. it's like <laughs> that, that's an interesting one already you could be refused on your way back in because you have your yeah. Irish passport <laughs> what are you doing here kind of thing you know well it's like the visas nowadays the same thing yeah, that's the thing, because I remember a few years ago, I was traveling to America and uh, I couldn't find my Irish passport. And the good people at the embassy here gave me a temporary passport so I could go there and this kind of thing, you know. And uh, my wife was saying to me, why don't you get a Swedish passport? And I was going, that would just confuse the living daylights out of me because I travel out on one and I try to travel back on the other. And then I just end up getting arrested and that'd be the end of it, you know. Um, the Walsh Group has been involved in tourism and it's not just in terms of promoting Ireland either. You've promoted Etihad Airways, Visit Flanders, Visit Okinawa. Delta, yeah. South Africa. You've been involved in in the sort of selling tourism and different destinations to everybody. But if I could ask you about Ireland, Rodney, is Ireland an easy sell in New Zealand? Can you just sort of produce a few PowerPoint slides and say, right, lads, let's go and play a bit of golf there in the K Club? Oh, Ireland is is the New Zealanders are very friendly and favourable to to the Irish. They they love the Irish. Well, that's an exaggeration. They they're very happy with the Irish. And at no stage, any time throughout New Zealand, that anyone other than welcome me. My, as consul general, I was going around and and I got by mistake onto the rotary speakers thing, mm. and I got the Irish guys speaking. So I spoke about Ireland and bringing them up to date with the true Ireland and throwing a few very pleasant stories in, mm. Dave Allen type of thing. And lo and behold, I could. I would, I think, could have spent at least a day a week lecture, not lecturing, speaking to to these. And in fact, in some cases, in in the European Union, in, in, with, with, with the, the the World Travel Federation, I went to it as, as with my Irish and New Zealand hat on, and they asked me to to, to chair a, a session, which I did. And believe it or not, for the next five, six years, I was invited at their expense to go to, to, to we went to, to Cuba, believe it or not. We right. went to Spain, we went to Portugal, we went to Italy. And, and this, this little Irish guy got up and spoke about tourism in Ireland. <laughs> and I, and I, and I said, well, I can't do that now. <laughs> but I could, I'm too old for that now. I don't know about that. You're still well able to tell a yarn when it's out of things here, you know. Oh, yeah. But the the Irish thing, no, really was uh, wherever I went, they they were friendly. They they had things. They they had one particular uh, prime minister, um, Bulger, who's the Irish connections Mm. and family. When he got to speak at an Irish meeting uh, or a banquet we put on or whatever, he put on an Irish accent, a bloody <laughs> awful Irish accent. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he just, he's like, he pressed a button. <laughs> oh, jeez, this lads, here we are. <laughs> oh, Lord. Was that not embarrassing for you sitting there listening oh, to this fellow? I cringe, I cringe. But I got so, I mean, he was so genuine guy. I got so, in the last, I, I welcomed it. In fact, if he didn't do it, I, I wouldn't say something. But and people expected him. And he's still alive. But there was no ambassador here. And that, that, you see, we, 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 we were, in fact, I know, 
we issued more passports than about 80% of the embassies worldwide. We, this little honorary consul in Auckland, was issuing more passports than I think the New York of them. And uh, again, with, and that coupled with the, with the birth certificates. Mm. Uh, and now, of course, we have, it's all technical and so on. And everything. But we, we were the highest issue honorary consul uh, of passports. But one thing, uh, another now, we, the first visit, official visit of the Irish president, Dr. Hillary, was back in the, we were in the 1970s. Yeah. And since then, we've had three, four presidential visitors. We got both of the Marys, as they call them. We got the <laughs> president, Noah Patrick. <laughs> um, uh, who, who, well, you know, there were Mary Robinson. And Mary, Mary McAleese. Yeah. yeah. And we have Dr. Hillary. And we just had, um, oh, what's his name? Michael D. Higgins. Michael D. Higgins. I had it. And I, I would be quite sure that I'd be the only, only consul general anywhere in the world that's been part of an official visit by an Irish president to, to, to one country, namely New Zealand. I've been in every one of them. So. That's amazing over the years. I mean, when you think that like there's bigger countries closer to home that don't get as many visits yeah. as you there in New Zealand, you know. Tell me this, you're a rugby man, as you mentioned. How much is how much does rugby play a role in the fact that the New Zealanders love the Irish? Are they enjoying the fact that Ireland is the number one rugby nation in the world in the rankings at the moment? Or does that rankle with them a little bit? I can't say they they uh, <laughs> I can't say they're worried about it. they they just don't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> they, I mean, they totally. <laughs> well, when the Rugby World Cup was run the first year, in fact, the second year of time as well, I was involved with the Irish side from just to be at presence. And for the last one, they sent a note out to all the, the, the various counties and, and um, mayoral offices said, would you like to put a tender in to be the home base for one of the touring teams coming in the in the World Cup? Yeah. And they said, oh, gosh, yes. Memory percentages exaggeration, perhaps, about 80% of those who sent in said they wanted the Irish. That's and in fact, one, one came back and said, if you can't give me the Irish, we don't want anyone. <laughs> was that you, was it? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted them there. And, and honest because when they went wherever they went they were they, while they may be rowdy they were pleasantly loud but the, the biggest one the previous World Cup here big game at Eden Park was Australia playing Ireland mm. in, 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 in the early rounds and of course Australia was just across the ditch they, mm. they expected they, all the Aussies who would come over and support them and so on and Anyway, when the, the Aussie team ran out onto the field, they loud cheers and so on. And when the Irish team began, the bloody stand erupted. Mm. It absolutely erupted, and the Irish were everywhere. And more importantly, Ireland beat Australia on that particular game. And going after the game, they were sort of singing and singing, and the New Zealanders who were very conservative in many ways. They joined in the songs. It was just terrific. And being Irish, I thought, now that, that's the country I'd love to represent, and that's it. So that's very, very French. And they're totally taken by surprise that Ireland dared beat them at Eden Park. <laughs> the cheek of them. 
<laughs> it's been I'll tell you, it's been a long time coming because and I'm on record as saying like I I like to watch the Irish rugby team, but I can take or leave you know the provincial game or or even you know New Zealand playing against South Africa, but I go wild when the Irish team are playing. And as you remember, I'm 51 years old, right? So it took an awful long time in my lifetime to get even close. You know, I wouldn't be old enough to remember Munster against the All Blacks or this kind of thing. You know, but it really is. It's about time we did start to to beat them. But Rodney, if could I ask you to compare something now, right? From when you arrived there back in in the late 50s early 60s and the community the Irish community that's there now is there a big difference between the kind of people who are being there the kind of jobs they do the kind of family lives they lead compared to when you moved over there with your mother all those years ago oh it is as they explained the the early settlers many of them were forced to leave because they couldn't get a job they were part of this big wave of of, of, of leaving emigration but now that we're getting younger people, two, it's the communications. When you, when I left, I wrote letters back to my, my sweetheart. You know, one a week would, would take a month to get there. Yeah. You wouldn't phone, you couldn't phone. We had, we had to try and book a, a toll call in, in, in 59, in, inside 60. Yeah. And so now they, they, they can literally fly out for a long weekend or 10 days. And, and they piggyback on on Australia. So we're getting now. If you if you go out, the young, the, the newer one, very intelligent, highly. No, I can't say highly, but well educated, mm. and and the, the old typical old guy with the with the trousers with the string to keep them off his boots. And so that image is gone completely. Mm. Uh, are they more are they less permanent now Rodney than what you would be because when you went there and you you mentioned yourself and your mother you sold the house you sold the furniture and everything you weren't going back to Ireland that wasn't an option you had to make it work but young people going out there today maybe have the option about look at if this doesn't work out I can go to Australia I can go to America I can go back to Ireland in a different way do you find it to be more transient now or do people still put down roots in the same way that you did there No, no they don't they, you're right. The new, the the, the the new Irish coming out, say in the, in the next three months, I don't know percentages, but they would be looking around, and if they didn't like it, they'd go back because they know they could go back. Mm. They're in daily go with a mobile phone, so God knows what. They're in daily contact, so, so they're not homesick as they as they used to be. So yeah. there's a lot of the young guys, very very bright, really bright. And very intelligent women. It's 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 a totally different picture now. Hmm. Do you enjoy what Irishness has become? What what it has come to mean in New Zealand now? Are there places that you can go? You know, rugby matches, clubs, bars, uh, events, theatre performances, where you can go and feel a part of your Irish community in a different way from when you arrived there. Now, I think the the part of the Irish that now would be are much more comfortable with than the Irish that were coming out when I was coming out. Mm. Because as I say, this, they, they were inward looking, they stayed in the cliques, they, the Irish societies were essential. I remember we, we, we so some years, we, we, we had never been a New Zealand born president of the Auckland Irish Society. They'd mm. all been, uh, and, and, and then finally, a New Zealander was elected. It was the New Zealand happened to be the, 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 the wife of an Irish person, but mm. that was a New Zealander, and and it was accepted. It's now it's the same. If there, it tends to be Irish because, but they could be Irish just out, 
rather than those who are already living here. And, and so it's a definitely openness. The Irish as a nation of youth has got a much different image than when I came out. Bearing in mind, I was younger too, of course. But if you talk Irish, you're talking intelligent, pleasant people, always good for fun. And, and, and hard workers. There's, 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 I, I, I'm trying not to be biased, but that's that's the image as I travel around. I don't travel as much as I used to, but they're, they're terrific. I'm proud, every proud. I wear, I'd wear my green tie. I've got Patrick's Day. They, they, <laughs> then we put one of the biggest parades down Queen Street in, in New Zealand, a bigger parade initially that they did in Ireland. Yeah. So, it's amazing altogether. I mean, it, it does. It sounds like a cliche, you know, clever, hardworking people, but it's a cliche because it's true. You know, I've noticed uh, there was a lad moved over here to Sweden in August and God, he was straight away. He was looking for work and now he has a job and he has another job on the go that might be better and this kind of thing, you know. So, I mean, they, like a lot of them are not the kind of people to sort of hang around and just sort of sit in the beach and wait for things to come to them, you know. And um, what do you see as being the future of the Irish community there? You've given, you've more or less dedicated your, your life, both professionally and personally, to making things better for Irish people there. Where do you see the community going? Is it in a very healthy state there, do you think? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, uh, we've got to be careful in bearing in mind that I've lived, <laughs> and people goggle with this, I've lived in New Zealand longer than 70% of the population. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a hell of a record right there, my friend. Well, just get up to the statistics that the people have been here 45 years who were raised there. I find it's quite true. But anyway, but and I enjoy it. Well, I must confess, early on, I would not want to go to the, uh, an Irish society unless it was a, a special thing, a fish or something. But but as to just to go and have a drink, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. Now it's a different thing. In fact, I'm patron of the Auckland Irish Society. And that's probably because I'm the old, oldest one still living without a wheelchair. But the, but it, uh, it's really, you got, I just happened looking at a, a, a thing beside me by a guy called, it is, was uh, one of the most successful finance companies in, in, in New Zealand. And a guy called Brian Gaynor set yeah. it up. He, he died tragically. He just died. He got a brain thing. But the, the, the Irish, in it, and he, he was careful about this. He, he didn't want to go out and say, it's an Irish company, I'm this, an Irish, that. He played the Irish thing completely quietly and take mm. me as I am, I am Irish, and now what's, what, are you are you a New Zealander? Fine, good, let's go. Mm. And, and, and it's getting that, I think, that the Irish have more, as much confidence now to go out and not afraid to be, or even worried about uh, that that I even think that it might happen that they'd be downgraded only in the rugby, but we fixed that. Oh, we fixed. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully that that helps an awful lot, especially in the part part of the world that you're in. And um, one that has been a fascinating conversation, Rodney. I wanted to ask you finally about you've written a book or a booklet of your memories there that you want to pass yeah. on to your older grandchildren. Is that like yeah. you know leaving something for future generations so that they can understand what it was like to be a man moving there in the late fifties and early sixties with no way back to Ireland, so to speak? Well, I go. I my I was three years of age when my father died, yeah. and my mother brought two girls and me up and moved back. They were up in the north of Ireland with the, the job and went back to this little house in Garva Road, Rathgar. 
and he brought us, got us through schools and whatnot. And when I came out to New Zealand, then we got married, got, got grandkids. I realised I had no background to me to tell my kids of. There was there were a couple of photographs somewhere, but they hadn't. There was a there was a gap in my heritage, as opposed they didn't. I wasn't. I was. <laughs> I'm not putting it well, but I wasn't. I was the father, but there was. I had no kids. Yeah. I mean, as a family, I had no. I don't didn't have that. So I thought, right, I'm going to put down from the day I arrived, out from the day I was born, really. That I will write what what happened. I what I did and how how I came out to New Zealand on the ship and what happened. How I met people there, and then how I went to Trinity because and I had to go on my motorbike to study there. And how I went to Antarctica. I should tell you about Antarctica, but that's a different thing. So I've got it. So it's only for the family. I, it's not something that I'm going to put out and sell it to someone. And there's yeah. no interest. It's at least I've got what five granddaughters now, so they're going to be spreading out around. As if you ever become interested in the first one that came from Ireland, there's there's his book. Gosh, did they do those sort of things way back then? I took a month in the ship to get here. You you had to book a week and a half in advance to make a toll call to Ireland, and then you were lucky to get one minute before it was cut off. All of that. It's now a closeness and. If your Irish come into the parlour. It's, it's a different world entirely. Have you shared it with your own children? Have they had a chance to look through the booklet before their children? Oh, yes. They, yeah, I wrote it. Oh, yes, they did. They had a look at it. What um, was their response to that? <laughs> I don't know whether they're just being polite <laughs> or not interested. <laughs> yeah, Grandad, oh, work yeah. away there. <laughs> <laughs> there you have to go. <laughs> and well, my eldest daughter now she's running the business while she's taking over the top job, but she's running it. But yeah. um, she, she said, "Oh, I didn't know you did that." I said, "Well, what page are you on? Six. Is it waiting to see what's coming? Says you. Now that you brought it up, I can't let you go without telling me the story because, as you mentioned, you're a man who's travelled the world. Uh, I think when you celebrated 45 years in business there, you had offices in New Zealand, in Australia, and in Japan. But you mentioned there, what on earth took you to Antarctica of all places? I mean, I would have thought that you travelled far enough when you got to New Zealand, but you had to go a few steps further to Antarctica, did you? Oh, this, this, that to me, in fact, you know, Tom Crean, Shackleton were major explorers into Antarctica. And uh, it was, I think it was the 50th celebration of the, New Zealand has a station down there. Yeah. And uh, it was, I think, it was celebrating something Shackleton's trip and the Prime Minister went down and Ed Hillary, you put me with no Ed Hillary who yeah. took and they were talking uh, interviewed on TV about how wonderful the, the British explorers had been and and I said hang on hang on Shackleton <laughs> the hackles <Yeah>. rose there <laughs> yeah <laughs> and Crean I read the book on Crean and I, and I got upset so I I uh, Dropped it, moved down a bit in Wellington about it, and went and saw them. And and uh, they, there's a, an Antarctic Heritage Trust which New Zealand has formed, and with the, with the, where their, their explorers were, and and there are places. And there's the thing is that the Antarctic Treaty, and the treaty is is it's one of the only countries 
where the country, the, the, the United States and Britain and Japan, even China, have signed an agreement that they will make no commercial benefits out of it, they maintain it. And there was when Helen Clark was talking on the thing about these these great British explorers, I said they're not. So I got onto the onto the the Heritage Trust and said, "Oh, the, this, this Crean isn't it?" And they love Crean. He, he, he's he's a marvelous mm. one. Of them. And they and I spoke to even to Ed Hillary about it. And I said, "No." So long story short, I I I have this trust. And on this trust, this is the New Zealand Antarctic Heritage Trust, there are representatives of the Americans, the ambassador sits on it, and the British High Commissioner is on it, and because they have explorers as well. So I said, what about the Irish? And well, what you, so what I did, we, we, one of the Mary, Mary, Mary McAleese it was, it came out and we made a presidential, it was the lunch of significance. Mm-hmm in Auckland and she was at it and we got the, the trust from, from Antarctica from Christchurch and we raised $30,000 to go to the preservation of the huts in, in Antarctica wow. and that gave us a click and I said well this is the, the, the deal we have to do we can do these things but we want a position on the trust and I said, "Well, I said, well, you've got cream, you've got that." And then, and, and the the, the, um, the the CEO, very much on my side, said, "Yeah, why not?" So, and we they then offered a, an ex officio position on the trust board for the the resident Irish, the most senior Irish representative resident in New Zealand, which meant that. It was me to start with, but I was yeah. thinking of ultimately yeah. that be an ambassador and so on. Yeah. And so we got on. So there was the little old New Zealand sitting there with his honorary consul next to the British High Commissioner, who actually <laughs> abstained on the vote of whether Ireland should be admitted. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't realise that having been admitted, I could read the minutes of the meeting that he met his abstention. <laughs> His abstention was duly noted, all because you claimed back Tom Crean for Ireland. That's right. That's right. And it's <laughs> still on the trust. It's still on the trust. And I honestly, what I have I failed is I haven't been able to persuade Ireland to sign the treaty. And I, I just, just rankle like I've, I've lost my chance now because there's an, oh, well, I keep talking to the, when we now have our own ambassador, which of course is a, is, is a different thing altogether. But yeah. I'll still work on it. But um, we should be on it, absolutely, particularly with the explorers. So you have, you, have you read the book about cream? It's, it's sitting on my shelf here now. It's definitely one of those. That, like when everybody was talking about it years ago, I got the book and I just haven't gotten around to reading it. But after this conversation with you now, I'm definitely going to read it. It's a fascinating oh, story. So. No, seriously, quite seriously, because I still think we we, we, we get we should sign. I even got Michal Martin. Who's the T-shirt? Michal Martin and then Leo Varadkar has taken over on the 17th of December yeah, now. Michal, I believe, yeah. Yeah. No, Michal Martin, I got a met. And he's got an interest. He liked, I was up for a rugby match, believe it or not. I, uh, I, I was always with my travel business. I was able to see uh, the All Blacks play at least one match on every one of their visits to New Zealand. Wow. Uh, to Ireland. <laughs> anyway, so um, the, 
forgotten. I've lost my train again, and sorry, I'm wondering. Not at all. It's, it's just like the important thing to you is to get Ireland to recognise this Antarctic treaty if at all Absolutely. possible, no matter who the Taoiseach yeah. is. Yeah, well, but he, yeah, he said he, he'd go for it, but they actually had a look at it and they came up and said, oh no, we'd have to alter the constitution. I said, for God's sake, who said that? Oh no, 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 seriously, I altered the constitution. Yeah. And yeah. Um, well, I don't know, what's that got to do with it? But somehow, uh, uh, well, now I'm, I'm sort of. Uh, um, yesterday's man. Um, there's a, there's a, a an honorary consul who succeeded me, but to, without all the, the the authority that I had, because they have an embassy in in Wellington and they do that, yeah. and so it's it's it's. We, we, I'm delighted we have an honorary consul in Auckland, but I, I, I we have to make it effective for. And and the passports are now all electronic, so it doesn't mean. But anyway, that's my. I still have it to, to, for Ireland to sign the treaty. And you, honestly, if you if you well, you are, you know a hell of a lot. You read a hell of a lot. Just have a look at that and yeah. see what. Ask your question. You can go and ask me or Martin because I did say to him about yeah. it. He'd love to, he'd love to sign it. Yeah. We, you, usually they say that oh you know that would be unconstitutional that's usually when they go that's their way of saying oh look I don't have the energy to look at that now you know but yeah. I think it would be a lovely tribute not least to, to, to Cream but also to, to your good self and to the wonderful work that you've done on Ireland's behalf and on your own behalf and on behalf of your family down there in New Zealand Rodney Walsh it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and we look forward to maybe we will publish that booklet when the grandkids are done with it will we? <laughs> no you, you can't afford the royalty now it's too <laughs> I, can't, I can't afford the libel insurance Rodney, thanks so much for talking to me. All the best. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Brings it out. Henshaw. Back on the inside it goes. The All Blacks try and turn it over. Can't do it though. There goes the siren. Back to Calgary. And that is that. Ireland win the series. And they fully deserve to do it. Your winners for 2022, Ireland. There you go. That was the sound of Ireland beating the All Blacks in Wellington to take the series back a few months ago down below in New Zealand. The first time ever that an Irish team has done that. And I wonder indeed if Rodney was in the stands to see that. I really hope it was because I'm sure, as you would have heard there, that he would have really enjoyed it. My friends, that's almost about all we have time for this week. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. Patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. And remember that if you can't afford to support the podcast, that's fine. It's always going to be free, but I need as many people as possible who can afford to support the podcast to please do so because that will make it easier for me to bring these episodes to you every week and all the other podcasts, the Irish and Sweden, podcast the Arrowman and Stockholm podcast all of those things are there and it's all free so if you're enjoying the podcast and you think it's worth supporting please do but in the meantime have a wonderful week I'll be back again next week with another guest from somewhere in the world I can't tell you who it is yet all I can tell you is that it's somebody from the Irish community one of the global gales one of the 70 million around the world who's either from Ireland or claims Irish heritage and I'm sure you're going to find it fascinating uh, in the meantime take care of yourselves take care of one another and I'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you.